Hello, Norris Ferry. Welcome to worship. I'm excited to gather together with you through this broadcast. Uh, before we get started, I just want to let you know about some tremendous strides that we've made in technology to, in order to push to you some very valuable resources for you during this time. Uh, if you will go to our website at www.norrisferrychurch.org. Uh, at the top of that home screen, you'll see a little COVID-19 tab. If you click that, it'll come to this page. Uh, and we're asking you to bookmark this page. That way, it'll be really easy for you to find the information. But on this page, you will find all the resources you need to be the hub, uh, to provide all the resources you need in order to continue to worship the Lord faithfully and to disciple your family at home during these days that you'll be home. I especially want to point out that if you'll click on kids, students, or adults, but especially on the kids, there's a lot of new resources that we've never had before that Rebecca has put a ton of work into. Uh, really, all the team has just put an enormous amount of work into all this. So we really hope you'll use these and take advantage of these resources. But the children's ministry has an app to, to download, and then Rebecca has taken it, and she's provided video and there's games interactive resources to interact with the lesson and I'm telling you this could be really a time to step up your game as parents on on discipling your children at home which is what we're all called to do anyway and so I really encourage you to take advantage of that also on this page you'll see if you scroll down there's the link to watch the sermon this week like you are now also there's other tools like if you personally need help uh, there, this is where you go to say, hey, I need help, and there's a form to fill out, and all the staff will get that email. Uh, it also is a way you can just to ask us to pray for you, uh, but many good resources, how to pray, how to minister in our community in this time. So be sure and go to norrisferrychurch.org, click the COVID-19 tab, and bookmark that page. Now I just ask you to, to enjoy a, a wonderful time of worship as the Lord prepares our heart uh, for the Word of God uh, Granger, Pastor Granger is going to come and lead us now in a time of worship. Hey, church family. Uh, it's a new day in the life of our church and of our world. Uh, we definitely are having to adjust in so many ways in our lives each day as well as in the church. But we want to continue as the church to point each other to Christ and to the fact that he is still in control, that he is still reigning over our world. In January, we begin a season of working through the traditional church calendar, and we started with the season of Epiphany, and Epiphany was this season for us as the church to remember that Jesus has been revealed as both the Son of God and Savior to the world. And now that we've finish the season of Epiphany, we enter into a new season called Lent, and it specifically is a season for us as the church to remember the temptation and the death of Jesus. And the word Lent, uh, for many of us, can invoke a lot of thoughts and questions, uh, maybe even feelings that we have from our past, depending on the background that you have with the church. If you grew up in a more evangelical church, you may think of it as some strange Catholic tradition that... Uh, it's just kind of odd. If you grew up in a more liturgical church, you may think of it uh, as something that you had a good experience or maybe not so much. But whatever the case, like all the seasons, it can be rightly seen and faithfully understood when it's understood through the lens of Jesus Christ, the one true story of the Bible. 
So Lent, this season begins with Ash Wednesday, which kicks off 40 days of prayer and fasting, representing Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And the last week of Lent, which is a, a week that we're familiar with as the church, is called Holy Week, during which we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we call Palm Sunday, the Last Supper with his disciples, we call Monday Thursday, and his death on the cross, known as Good Friday to the world. The season officially ends on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter. And this season of time for us as a church is to prepare for the joy and the hope of Easter. Lent reminds us that the resurrection only occurred after the brutal crucifixion of Jesus. It's a time for the church to symbolically follow Jesus into the wilderness. It's a time for fasting and self-denial. And this is the point I want us to think about. I want us to focus our mind's attention, and it's sometimes harder when we're not gathered as the church, but focus our mind's attention that this is a period of time to empty ourselves of lesser things so that we might be filled with the greater things of the gospel. And this morning, as we prepare to sing and worship through music, I want to read a passage of scripture. It's out of Matthew. It says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for being a merciful, loving God. We thank you that in times of struggle, in times of need, God, that you are there to help us. Lord, we pray that you will work in our hearts today as we gather as a church scattered across our city in homes, as we worship and sing, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts. Let's sing this together.
about this, that our sin has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Let's sing this together. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the Chapter 15, 
Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, all the way to verses 20 and 28. Now, while you're turning to those passages, let me just say thank you to Mickey McDonald, one of our elders who brought the message last week. He did a great job, and yes, as he alluded to when I asked him, or we asked him, uh, if he would consider being an elder, he had lots of reasons that he didn't feel qualified, and I didn't get him over the top until I finally said, Mickey, the real reason that you're qualified is you're old. And he laughed, and we laughed together about that, but I'm thankful that he agreed to be an elder, and I'm thankful that he brought the message last week. The Lord really did use his age uh, and his maturity and the things he's experienced, that the years that he's walked with the Lord through many times of potential fear and was able to just bring a nice calming presence to it. So I appreciate your, your uh, bringing the word last week, Mickey. Now, where are we in our study? We've been working through 1 Corinthians. We're to chapter 15, and it was only two weeks ago, it seems like a lifetime ago, that we were in verses 12 through 19. Now, in 12 through 19, Paul detailed the seven terribly negative consequences of denying the resurrection if you'll remember they were denying their own bodily resurrection and Paul said well if you deny that you're denying the resurrection of Jesus and if you deny Jesus resurrection then Jesus is still dead our message is in vain your faith is in vain you're still in your sins you aren't going to defeat the grave and it was depressing but today we get to verse 20 and notice the key word that he says at the beginning of our verse but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And that word but is a contrasting conjunction that is a huge contrast between the depressing state of there being no resurrection in his hypothetical message last week or two weeks ago. In contrast, what a glorious reality it is to know that yes, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's a very joyful message very encouraging i pray you're encouraged by the word today paul's main emphasis is this metaphor right here first fruits paul's going to say the first fruits is what christ is the first fruits and we're going to unpack what that means and what we're going to see is that christ the first fruits is going to tell us about the fact of the resurrection that it is a fact he's going to talk about the order of the resurrection and he's going to talk about the glory of the resurrection so before we get going, let me just ask the Lord to help us. Lord, as we are bombarded with, with all kinds of news of the coronavirus and the daily tallies of the number of cases and the number of deaths, Lord, we do grieve with those who are grieving. But Lord, we also ask that you would strengthen us and encourage us all as we study the fact of the resurrection from the grave as we consider the order and when it's going to happen, and finally, as we consider the glory of the resurrection from the grave. Lord, we praise you, and we, we praise you that for those of us who are in Christ, that we have victory over the grave, that in Christ we will be resurrected from the grave. And I pray that that truth encourages us and strengthens us and, and enables us to bring you glory this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, as we begin, Paul begins with the fact of the resurrection. And we find this in verse 20, verse 23, 22. Here's what Paul says in these verses. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For 
as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So let's break this apart, beginning again in verse 20. He says, but in fact Christ has been raised. Now that's important, I point that out because think about who is doing the action here. He doesn't say Christ raised himself. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. That means that Christ was not the active agent in his own resurrection, but God the Father has raised Christ from the grave. And that's important because Paul's going to make this harvest metaphor, this idea of the first fruits. If you look at the next, he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. God was the harvester. And Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's how Paul talks about the death of Christ. And so we want to understand what does he mean when he says that Christ is the first fruits? Well, in agricultural analogies, the first fruits was the first portion of the harvest. Uh, we have just a handful of farmers in our church, but I'm sure if you talk to them about the first fruits, that would be the first portion that they went out and harvested. And they brought back in, let's say they were harvesting corn, and maybe one field had corn, another field had uh, soybeans. And so they bring the harvest in, and that would tell you two things about the harvest. Number one, it would tell you about the nature of the harvest. That he would say that the, the nature of the harvest, well, this is corn, so we know that there's more corn to follow. If the first fruits was corn, we wouldn't assume that the more that was coming was soybeans. So that tells you first about, about the nature of the coming harvest. But it also tells you about the quality of the harvest. If that first fruit harvest was bountiful, then you'd be excited to know, man, this harvest is going to be a bumper crop. And so the first fruits indicated both the nature and the quality of the greater harvest that is to follow. And so Paul is, is taking that and he's saying the first fruits... Christ was the first fruits. He's saying that the initial resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us an indication about the nature and the quality of the greater harvest of all of the souls, the resurrection of Jesus' children, his disciples, those who believe in Christ. And now we're going to see in chapter 15, Paul gets into detail about the, the quality and the nature of the resurrection. What kind of bodies will it be and things like that. But today, let's just think about the fact of the resurrection. If, if a farmer goes out and brings in corn, then you know there's going to be a harvest. How do you know? Because I'm showing you a sampling of that harvest. That this testifies, this is evidence of the fact that there is a greater harvest coming. And, and in this section of the text, Paul is saying that Jesus is the first fruit. He is the one that guarantees the fact that we, as his children, will also participate in a mighty resurrection. And so... Jesus being the first fruit testifies to the fact that there will be a greater resurrection in the days ahead. But we also, when we think about what Paul means when he talks about this first fruits, we also need to go back to Leviticus chapter 23 verse 9. Let me read that to you. He says in Leviticus 23, 9 and following, he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land... That I give you, and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the 
first fruits. Notice there's that word again. You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And then he tells you what the priest should do. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. This is an act of worship. And he says, so that you may be accepted. Do you hear all this incredible theology that's packed in here? That he will wave the first fruits before the Lord so that you may be accepted. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And then he says, and on the day when you wave the sheath, listen to this, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. So I want to focus on this idea of wave. He's saying that when you take, when the priest was to take the first fruit harvest, a sheath of it, he was to wave it and, and wave it as a whole burnt offering. And the aroma of worship and praise was to rise to the nostrils of God, saying, God, we recognize that all of this is from the hand of God. This is your provision for us. And so this is an, an important picture of, of an act of worship. And so what we see is that we're going to be encouraged that as God's people, those who are worshiping and celebrating the coming resurrection of Jesus Christ, our lives are to be a sheath of worship, that, that from our lives should be an aroma of worship to God, to the glory of God as we respond in these somewhat fearful times. We, we can really have a sense of calm and a sense of confidence about us because of our confidence in the Lord and the future resurrection. We don't have to fear death. And to the extent we're able to, to live with, it doesn't mean we deny the, the awkward or the strange circumstances. It doesn't mean we can't ever have fear, but it means that we battle fear and we have a sense of calm and we, we may grieve lost ones. We may grieve just the general idea that there are people we don't know that are dying, but the scripture says, as we'll see in just a minute, we grieve, but we grieve with a hope that's different. And it's because we know about the certainty, the fact of the resurrection that we'll experience one day. But also I want to point out this where he says the unblemished lamb. And I'm sure if you're like me, your brain's already thinking, man, I, I know this is Jesus. This is an allusion to Jesus. He says that you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish. The, the scriptures, the Bible authors take these concepts that we see in the Old Testament and the writer of Hebrews and, and points to Jesus Christ. And in the scriptures we see that Jesus Christ is the great high priest who God sent and he says he gave his own life as the unblemished lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice that is the only sacrifice that we saw the words that makes us acceptable to God. And so the great high priest Jesus offers his own body as the sacrifice for our sins, which makes us acceptable to God. And then he promises that in his resurrection, he guarantees our future resurrection. And this is how we are sacrifices our lives are acts of worship to God that God should be able to Jesus should be able to wave us in this community to bring forth the aroma of the glory of God all based on what he did as the unblemished lamb so the fact is this because of Jesus's death we're acceptable to God and the fact is this because of Jesus's bodily resurrection he is the first fruits testifying, giving evidence that we too one day 
we'll have a bodily resurrection that death is not the end for us. And so we can be offerings of worship to God in this community in such a time of fear, we can have confidence. So we don't have to fear death. We have victory in Jesus. So may God make us an aroma to his glory. Paul continues to explain this by doing what every good teacher does, going back to Genesis. As you guys give me a hard time for doing all the time, he goes back to Genesis and he talks about Adam. Look at verse 21. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then he goes on to say, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, if you were to read this in the Greek, it would be kind of wooden, but the point stands out a little more clearly. Literally, Paul says, For since through a man, death. Also through a man, resurrection of the dead. And then he says in a parallel sentence, For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now, there's a big fancy term to explain what Paul's doing here, and it's called representational theology. In Adam, we have our representative. Christ, we have our representative. Paul is saying that because we share in the humanity of Adam, we also share in the fallen nature of Adam. And as a result, like Adam who died, we all know that death is inevitable for us. As our representative head, Adam makes it inevitable that we will die just like him because we are sinful just like him. But the beautiful, glorious gospel says that Christ can be our representative head as well. That when we participate in the divine nature of Christ, by faith in Christ, we defeat death. We overcome the curse of death because we are redeemed from our sin. And so what, what's important here, what's so helpful here, is the inevitability because all of us have very clear understanding that death is inevitable. We all know that. There's the old joke of, you know, two certain things is death and taxes. Well, what we need to understand is that the resurrection is just as inevitable, just as you are certain that one day you will die. You need to know that if you're in Christ, you can be that certain that you will have a bodily resurrection from the grave. It is that certain. The fact is that certain. And we need to embrace that, that reality so that we can have this witness in the community that that's the difference that Christ makes. That's the hope that undergirds our soul. So we need to have that certainty about the future bodily resurrection. How can we be certain? Because we looked at Christ. And Christ was the first fruits of the greater harvest of bodies from the grave that is coming. The fact of the resurrection. Next, we consider the order of the resurrection. Look at verse 23. Paul goes into the order of the resurrection. He says, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, he's here the order, then at his coming, or parousia, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Christ first, he'll be resurrected, and then those who belong to Christ at the coming, the second coming of Christ. He continues in verse 24, he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to, the, uh, to God, the Father, 
after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So Christ is reigning currently between the resurrection and ascension and the future return. All that time, the time in which we live, Christ is reigning and ruling and putting all things under his feet. He is supreme. Even in this time of uncertainty, Christ is reigning. But then he says at the end, when Christ returns and there's the future body resurrection, he says in verse 26, that's when the last enemy is to be destroyed. And that last enemy is death. Now, when is all this going to happen? He told us in the verse earlier, he said it's going to happen at his coming. At his coming. That's when death is over. You say, well, I'm a Christian and I still die. Yes, but your death is not punishment. Your death is why Paul calls it a sleep. Paul says they're just sleeping because your body may die, but your soul instantly is with Christ. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And so at his coming, when he comes again, when he returns, he will finally finish the process of, of judging his enemies and he'll give us new bodies that have been risen from the grave. Now, when is this going to happen? At his coming. This is talking about the end times. And we have all kinds of questions. Well, when is that? I got a text this week and someone texted me. And here's what they texted. And they said, quote, does the end times have to do with this? End quote. Referring to all that's going on with the pandemic. I said, quote, we live in the end times which began after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Bible says to live with expectation that he could come back any day. So, yes, in quote. Obviously, they didn't like that answer, and they responded, quote, okay, well, not the answer I was looking for, in quote. And so I had a good laugh at that. So, but you get my point. The point is this. The death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension began the end. It began the last season. And the Bible is telling us that at the end of this season, Christ will return, and that's when we will have our resurrection from the grave, our bodies. And for, he's talking about only believers, though. All throughout this text, when he says sleep or asleep, those who were asleep, he's talking about those who died in Christ, because for those people who are in Christ, death is not like the end. It's, just a, it's like being asleep, because the body's going to come back to life. Now, we don't believe in soul sleep. He's just saying that for us, it's not the end. There is a hope for a future. So death is not the end. Death is not the end of hope. And he talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, 13, that day where he comes again and he gives us the resurrection from the dead. The bodies are resurrected. Listen to how he describes, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, those who are believers who have died. He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So at the return of Christ, those who have fallen asleep, God will bring with him at the return. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, 
that we who are alive at the time of Christ's return, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede, so here's the order, those who are alive when Christ returns will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and at that time, the dead in Christ, their bodies will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And this, I love this last verse, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How awesome is that? Paul has been teaching us, man, this is not all there is for us. Encourage each other with the truth of God's word that says, when Christ rose from the grave, he made certain that you will raise from the grave. And when Christ returns, the dead in Christ, their bodies will be resurrected from the grave. And then whoever's alive, their bodies will be instantly changed. He says, there is hope beyond the grave for those who are in Christ. And I want you to encourage each other with these words. That's what we should be doing during this time. We're approaching the Resurrection Sunday and Paul is going to be driving this point home that we who are in Christ have hope beyond the grave. And it's a glorious hope. And that we should use this, this truth to encourage one another. So we've seen the fact of the resurrection. It is certain. Just look at the resurrection of Jesus and we looked at the order of the resurrection. That when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then all who are alive, their bodies will be changed in an instant. And finally, we look at the glory of the resurrection. Look at verse 27 through 28. And I love this verse. It gets a little crazy, but look at verse 27. He says, For God has put all things in subjection under his, meaning Christ's feet. This is coming from Psalm 8. Paul is quoting Psalm 8, which says these words, and he's saying the, the his in that is Jesus Christ. He's saying the reason we have this hope and we know this certainty is because God who raised Jesus from the grave has put all things, not some things, but all things in subjection under Jesus' feet or his authority. And then he goes on to kind of explain what Paul typically does is he kind of goes off these. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. He says, but when it says, when Psalm 8 says, quote, all things are put in subjection, end quote, Paul says, now it's plain that he is accepting who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, he's saying, now look, when God put all things under Jesus' feet, God didn't put himself under Jesus' feet. That's just so typical Paul. But then he goes on in verse 28, says, When all things are subjected to him, meaning Christ, then the Son of Man, or the Son himself, will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. And here's the main idea. Why? So that God may be all in all. And this is what I'm calling the glory of the resurrection. All of this, the fact of the resurrection, the order of the resurrection, that we can know how this is going to play out, 
the fact that at the end, he puts the death, he puts death to death. It's finished, no more death. That's eternal life in our new eternal bodies. There will never be death experienced again. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more disease, no more coronavirus, no more fear, no more sadness, just glory. He says, why? So that God may be all in all, that God may get all the glory. So when a farmer brings in the harvest, he brings in the corn and he shows his family, it's going to be a bumper year. They don't say, oh, praise you, corn. They say, oh, what a great job to their dad, the farmer. The farmer gets the credit for the hard work of bringing in a bumper harvest. And then, of course, a godly farmer says, well, all glory goes to God. Well, that's the point here. All glory goes to God who raised Jesus from the dead, which guarantees the fact that we will all have an experience. All who are in Christ by faith will experience Likewise, a bodily resurrection. And as we live on this, uh, on this earth, as long as God gives us, however many days he gives us, our job is to soak in that gospel and let that change the way we view viruses, the way we view fear, the way we view the reality of mortality, that we'll die one day. But for us, it's like being asleep. That we'll instantly be with Christ, our bodies are asleep, but when we come back with Christ, he'll give us resurrected bodies that are glorious bodies, as we'll see later in Corinthians. And that should change our attitudes. That should change, that should give us, that should undergird our very real emotional experiences that are challenging, but undergird it with a sense of hope and confidence in God. Now Paul was quoting Psalm 8, so I want to close just by reading Psalm 8. I just invite you to close your eyes and, and just listen to the psalmist's words. And I pray this is encouraging to you, emboldens you. So pray with me. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, maybe we go out as we have some family time, go out at night and just look at the stars. Read this psalm, which the Father has set in its place. What is man? that God Almighty is mindful of him. And the son of man, that you care for him. But then look what Paul did to this part of the text. He says, yet you have made Christ, you have made him a little lower than the angels and the heavenly beings and crowned Christ with glory and honor. He took on flesh and he crowned him with glory and honor. You have given Christ dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under Christ's authority, Christ's feet, including disease. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever comes our way, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Death has been defeated. We will be resurrected in Christ. Let us be an offering to the glory of God wherever we go. Thank you for worshiping with us. It's been a great time to worship even though it's in different circumstances. I'm praying for you. The church is praying for you. The staff and elders are praying for you and we're reaching out to you. But again, just want to remind you to go to our website, norrisferrychurch.org. Click on the top tab, COVID-19, and that will give you tremendous amount of valuable resources. Our staff has put an enormous amount. They have done an incredible job of putting an enormous amount of energy and resources into making sure that you can make the most of this opportunity to disciple your children and to continue to grow in your own walk with the Lord that we may be an aroma to our community of confidence in the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week. Stay in touch.